everyone, I'm Sarah Baker. Welcome to Mama Stories, Expert Edition. When I started down this path of connecting mamas through sharing stories, I knew the other piece of this puzzle needed to be hearing from experts. You know, the people we really should be getting our advice from. So here it is, experts on mamas, those who have done the work and know their stuff. So get ready to take notes and enjoy today's expert. Welcome to the show today. We have Dr. Jennifer Lincoln with us. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Do you prefer to go by Jen or Jennifer? Usually I'm a Jen. Okay. I was a Jennifer when I was in trouble. So <laughs> okay. brings I will, me right back to that. <laughs> I will refrain from calling you Jennifer then. Sure. Unless I'm in trouble, you know. Unless you're in trouble. We'll see what happens exactly. throughout yeah. the interview, I guess. <laughs> All right, Jen, why don't you tell the listeners um, a little bit about you and what you do for work? Sure. Yeah. So I am an OBGYN. I um, graduated from residency in 2011. And so I've been practicing since then. And my first few years out of practice, I worked as a generalist, which means I did kind of a little bit of everything, Um, OB and GYN, office, OR, Um, clinic, labor and delivery, all that good stuff. And more recently, in the past almost four years now, I've been working exclusively as an OB hospitalist, which means that I work on labor and delivery. That's my home base. I don't have any outpatient um, responsibilities. And so every day is different, but it's in the same place every day. Um, And every day really is a different adventure. I'm also an IBCLC or an international board certified lactation consultant. And so that means I've pursued extra training in breastfeeding um, support and education. Um, and I just love that. And, um, I'm also a medical director of a postpartum mother baby clinic. So that clinic not only does lactation, but also in the first few days after discharge from the hospital works as a sort of to bridge the gap between going home from the hospital and moms and, uh, moms bringing them, you know, seeing their own doctor and then also bringing their babies to their pediatrician. So we also, work to care for not only the babies and the breastfeeding aspect, but also the moms in those first few days. Um, so it's super fun. That's very important work. I would say that's probably the, for me, I should say, and the women I've spoke to, (laughs) it's the hardest time I would say is those times that in between of like, here's your baby to like, okay, now go home and do with it as you please and make sure you keep it alive. <laughs> right. I know. I remember. So I've got two boys. I'm a mom of two. And I remember with my first, and again, I'm in medicine. My husband's a pediatrician. Uh, we are really trained to know what to do. And the second they said we were discharged, I was like, you're really going to let me go home with a human? What do I do? <laughs> and it was terrifying. And we really, you know, we don't see moms, especially back soon enough. So just to tell them, okay, we'll see you in six weeks. That is a long six weeks to just it's be a out long there. Time. Yes. yes. Yeah. I, so, yeah. I saw my doctor a lot more than, um, a lot more than zero times in six weeks. Cause I had to see right. her a lot, but yeah, I, yes. but I had to make yeah. those appointments. They were one off. So exactly. Exactly. Ugh, so hopefully hard. that will be changing. And I think it is changing. Um, but it's, you know, it's like, has it really taken us this long to realize this, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the things that, although you mentioned a lot of what you do today, which is obviously caring for moms and then, um, educating them, caring for babies in that early time, one of the things that drew me to you and um, something that I'm really excited to talk to you about is what you choose to do with your Instagram page, which I'm, uh, for any of you who are not following 
uh, Dr. Lincoln, you should definitely be, and there's a link in uh, my Instagram post for this and also in the description below, wherever you listen to podcast. Uh, but you talk about a lot of things that I feel like just in general, people are either too afraid to talk about or it's done behind closed doors. Um, and primarily one of the things that you've talked about that I've been most interesting in, interested in, excuse me, is that like mm-hmm. teenage years mm-hmm. of like what's to come, the like inevitable sex talk, um, yes. parents being potentially a little bit overbearing, all those good things. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And so I would love to just pick your brain on all the things teen sex or teen health yeah. And what us parents can do to prepare and or those that are in it um, to kind of understand what we need to do or what some actions that we need to take. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, you know, I just started doing the whole Instagram social media thing. It hasn't even been a year um, but I was, you know, I have my own private Instagram page where I posted, of course, all the pictures of my kids that I thought were adorable. And then I started to see more physicians and nurses and lactation consultants on that space and to see what they were doing and the audiences they were reaching. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. This is a totally different way to interact with patients and women. Um, And then I tried it and I was really nervous. And I still feel like I've got some imposter syndrome for sure when people at work are like, hey, we saw you on Instagram. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Um, But it's been so satisfying. And really the stuff with the teens recently, um, you just, stuff just sometimes presents itself. And I have had dozens of teenagers message me who have said, thank you for this. I didn't know this was a thing. I actually asked my mom today to make an appointment. I told my boyfriend I didn't have to have sex. And I'm like, oh my goodness, if just one person, if this made a difference, like this is just totally worth it. Yeah. No, it's so good. I mean, honestly, like I don't have a teenager right now, but Mm -hmm. I mean, just the stuff that you post, it's kind of like, well, first off, I was like, dang, this girl's got some like serious guts and I love it. Like you just like <laughs> hit it straight with, and you back it up with knowledge, oh, but thanks. Talk, yeah. well, you're welcome. The thing is Thank for you. me, like, you know, those women and those teenage girls that are reaching out to you, like you got to think about where they get their information from. Like if exactly. I go on Pinterest today, you don't really mm-hmm. know who's giving you what, where like on Instagram, it's kind of more of like this you at least, I guess, in some cases, know this person who's giving you this information and can back it up. And I have also seen the same thing, like a lot of more medical professionals on that platform giving advice. And I appreciate that because if I need it, if somebody, if my best friend, whatever, it's like nice to know what's out there and it's coming from someone who's educated versus someone who just posts something on the internet somewhere. And that stuff is definitely out there too. And I would say that was one of my main factors where I was like, you know what? Our voices are needed here because there is, there's bad stuff out there. And even on Instagram, you know, it's people who tout themselves as experts and then you look, there are no credentials. And so Mm. I totally believe if you are going to, you know, follow somebody, even if it's me, don't take my word for it, you know, look up my credentials, make sure I'm legitimate. Um, you know, I always try to post references because I think it's really important. And um, there's so much bad stuff out there that I, I think it was sort of the like, okay, let's let's give some measured, you know, evidence-based advice, which I think is just so important when it comes to sex and everything else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> related to women's health, you know, for sure. And that's the thing. I think it's, it's cool that it's coming from a woman, an educated woman, and that it's geared towards 
parents and mm-hmm. teens and women to yeah. to really understand and like kind of gain their own knowledge. And I think that's really great. So right. I can't thank yeah. you enough for doing that. Oh, and I also, my oldest is nine. So I'm hoping that by the time he's, you know, in a few more years, I, I'm going to have my spiel down and, you know, I'm more comfortable <laughs> talking about anything, but I'm, okay. All right. Yes. I'll be ready when he's a teenager. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, let's, let's start with that. Like, I think the first thing that always comes to mind whenever I think about like sex education and all mm-hmm. that is my terribly awful produced class when I was in fifth grade, I think is when it happened. Oh, yes. You know, you had to get the permission <laughs> slip. So it was awkward. Yeah. Some people got pulled out. Some people got yeah. to stay in. Yeah. And then this person, I no clue who they were or what their like role was, but they just came up and started talking about sex and right. And I don't know if puberty was involved. Maybe it was literally just sex. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But um, I just remember it being really, it seemed even for me as an immature fifth grader, like it seemed really immature. It seemed really surface level. Mm-hmm. And that's still happening today, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. No, it is. Um, so I will back up. I was that kid who parent the parents didn't write the um permission slip and I had to go sit in the secretary's office and my parents are lovely like they totally well it's kind of funny they were teenagers when they had me um (laughs) so I think part of it was that they were afraid like oh my goodness she's gonna hear this and and we'll talk about that um but and they of course support you know they support where I am and and we joke about it now like mom so you told me I couldn't be in that class in the fifth grade and now that's all I do for a living is I talk about (laughs) sex she's like well that backfired (laughs) Yeah, it did. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, so I know. I totally get it. Um, and you're right. It's so superficial. And so here's the problem, too, is that so much of what sex education is in this country is just abstinence-only education. Um, and we know that that withholds a lot of information, you know, and it stigmatizes sex and sexual health. Because when we're talking about sex education, it's not just about sex. You hit the nail on the head. It should be about puberty. It should be about the names of what our body parts are. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be all about sex. And that's why I think sex education, and this might sound scary, but it really starts when you've got a two and a three-year-old and a one-year-old, mm. and you decide what you're going to call their penis, their vagina, their nipples, those sorts of, like, if you make up silly words for it, you're giving them a message that they can't use the right word for their body. And why is that? That's, you know, that is, you're telling them that it's dirty and shameful. So you're setting that stage. And then you get into sex ed, you know, the traditional fourth, fifth, sixth grade, whatever. And if it's just abstinence only, you're just telling teenagers, here's what you can't do. Well, what do teenagers tend to do with that information? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and we have studies that show that that abstinence only, that super superficial, like you referenced, um, that type of education, it doesn't work. It doesn't delay sex. Um, it's a really fancy word. It's called the sexual debut. Um, so mm. it does not. It doesn't. You know, you look at kids who get abstinence only education and kids who get comprehensive sex education. The kids who get abstinence only are having sex the exact same time. It's not like making them think, like, wow, well, you know, since this dude said I shouldn't do it, you know, I'm not going to do it. Like, they're <laughs> yeah. still going to do it. Yeah. Um, and what's really interesting, too, is that the majority of the public does not support abstinence only education. It's not like most people want that. So that's what we're doing. It's really the public is smart and they want their kids to get comprehensive sex education. And like from start to begin, not just this superficial you know, just don't do it. And we don't talk about it. And, but yet when you're 25, we want you to know how to, you know, how to make a baby and how not to make a baby. And yeah. it's just, it's not fair to teens. Um, we're not giving them the benefit of the doubt that they can handle this stuff and still make good choices. 
Well, and I think it's naive of us and naive of parents today to think that that's not going to happen. Like, right. Right. It's funny because I mean, like my mom and I are super close. And so Mm -hmm. when I first had sex, I didn't tell her right away. Um, Mm -hmm. but I remember it was probably like two days later because I couldn't hold it in anymore. And we were in the Costco parking lot getting gas (laughs) and she was like, stepped out of the car and I just right before she stepped out I just said I had sex I don't want to talk about it and she shut the door and I just started bawling and oh yeah but I mean and then we made an appointment and we got tested and like all these things happened and I'm so thankful for that because yeah you know anytime I had a new partner or something had happened my mom always had me tested always took me to the doctors yeah and Um, that is priceless and that's what teenagers want they want to be able to talk to their parents. Um, I get so many messages from teenagers who say, how do I talk to my mom about this? I want to do this. And they're wanting to, you know, they say, I, I need to start on birth control, but I'm too afraid. I, they want to take care of themselves and they want to make good choices, yeah. um, but they're too afraid. And so to have that, to know that you can go to your mom or your dad, that is so priceless. And the statistics of it, We know that 65% of 18-year-olds have had sex, 65%, and 15% of 15-year-olds have had sex. So if you think, like, they're just not going to do it, you're just kind of sticking your head in the sand. Mm -hmm. And what I think is fascinating are the teen fertility rates. So um, so when I used to be in the office and I would say, okay, I've got a, you know, 15-year-old in front of me. She's telling me she's having sex. She doesn't want to be on birth control. And I say, let's play a game. You've got 100 of you, like your friends, and 100 of you are having sex. Tell me this time next year, how many of you do you think will be pregnant? And usually they're like, oh, I don't know, 10, 20, 30. I'm like, no, 90. 90% of teens who are regularly having unprotected sex will be pregnant in one year because wow. we were made to we were made to have babies at evolutionarily at, you know, 14, 15, 16. Like that was the sweet spot. Um, and so to just stick your head in the sand, you're just asking for trouble. Right. It's like mm-hmm. it's like the bad education from school. And I don't know, again, like, let me be clear. I'm not sure whose role that actually is. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know if the school should be doing that or if parents should, because I do think it isn't something, again, like we haven't been educated very well on it. We know what it is. Right. Because by the time we've had babies, we've done that. But like, it's like, I don't know if I could articulate it without putting shame on it without putting because it's just is what I've been taught and it is what I believe in some cases even though I don't want to believe that like I have this bias that's just kind of been built for me right well yeah and I think that's why parents shy away from it they don't want to mess it up they don't know how to present it they want help too it's like everybody wants help but nobody wants to ask for the help Mm -hmm. or is just too embarrassed and I will say I was invited maybe two years ago to go um, with some of my coworkers to go to this one school, Montessori school, and they had a, um, a health education block and it was fourth, fifth, no, fifth, sixth and seventh graders, I believe. And the way they did it was perfect. So they had, they knew this block was coming up. They had a night where the parents and the kids were there together to talk about it, to say, here's what we're going to be talking about. Um, here's resources for the parents physicians are actually going to come in and talk to your sons and daughters. And then we're going to make sure that they are able to ask you questions as their mom and dad. And then we're going to give you the contact information of the physicians so that if you have questions, you can ask them directly. So you don't feel like you're left out. And I thought that was the most amazing (laughs) approach. And I had only wished that I had had that because these kids, they were adorable and they were so into it and they, they knew it was coming and they weren't embarrassed. I mean, some of them were, but it was just this environment of like, 
we're just going to do this and your mom and dad support this. And, um, and we're not going to just throw scary information at you in that terrible video and leave you in the dark. Um, (laughs) and it was, I was like, oh man, if we could do this for every kid, (laughs) but I agree, it's gotta be comprehensive. It can't just be on the parent's shoulders or just farm it out to the schools or, um, it's gotta be, like I said, it's gotta start from when they're babies and you, have to be supported by your doctor to say, Hey, at this age, you should be considering, you know, talk about this. And, um, what I love is my kids, pediatricians, they say at every exam, they say, I'm going to, do you know what your private parts are? It's the part covered by your underwear. We're going to examine that, but I can only do it because I'm your doctor and your mom and dad are here. It should never be anybody like they're already setting the stage for like you own your body. And I, I just like light up every time they say that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's so cool. I I don't remember getting that. I mean, I'm 30 and I still Mm -hmm. get uncomfortable. No, we never got that. sit down for a pap smear and my (laughs) doctor's teaching like walking me through it too but I'm still like oh god this is uncomfortable because it is it is just kind of like this place that isn't really talked about in a like very factual way it's kind of like hidden shameful right all the things so do you think that it like when you were saying 90 percent of like sexually active kids teenagers will be pregnant within a year. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I wrote it yeah. down fast. So if I'm wrong, yes. no, you're right. <laughs> correct me. Okay. Um, yep. do you think that that is because of lack of education or is it because of lack of parent support? Like on your opinion? So that is just based on biology. So that's just if they were having unprotected sex. It just, the point of that just means that they are fertile and they are just going to get pregnant if they have sex. Okay. Um, so yeah. And so the teen pregnancy rate is not that high. Thank goodness. Oh, it's um, not. It's much lower. No, okay. thank no. And it's actually the lowest it's ever been. It may have upticked recently, but it's the lowest it's ever been. And that's a combination of factors. A lot of, um, it's the Affordable Care Act. It's the fact that contraception is now covered. Um, it's, it's a lot of different factors. No, that's just truly related to just biology. Got it. And I okay. posted a, I posted a TikTok with that fact uh, maybe two weeks ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought it, it perfectly captured the teenager's brain because so many of them said, well, I'm, I'm, you know, that one in 10 or I'm, I'm in that group of 10, I'm not pregnant. And it's that, um, it's that, it's that teenager mind of, um, like that superhero mentality that it's mm. not going to happen to me. Like, like when you tell them they're going to get cancer, if they smoke, they don't care about that. That's too far down the line. Right. They think it's not going to happen to them. And I, so I comment back with, yes, you're not that group yet, Yeah, <laughs> but don't wait to get there, <laughs> you know, use some protection because it's just, you're, you're playing Russian roulette and you're eventually going to lose. You know what that actually articulates really well is that I think parents need to take a stronger stance on this and really mm-hmm. be involved because even though these kids and these teenagers are making these really adult decisions by mm-hmm. having sex, they mm-hmm. are still so young and oh, yeah. their yeah. ability to understand layers of complexity and like statistics like this and really understanding like what that means to them, right. like, it isn't there and, and not right. that it should be. It just, exactly. it needs no, to that's be also, that parents are stepping in. It's that biology too. I mean, their frontal lobe, which is that executive functioning. That's the part that makes you think ahead and make good choices. It's not fully formed till you're in your mid twenties. So you think of all the decisions we have to make before that, like where we're going to college and who we might marry or we're making all these decisions with a, not even a fully formed, um, brain. So Mm. I think it's the saddest thing when a teenager who again is making these adult choices 
you know, ends up getting genital herpes or something mm. that's not curable. And I, and I just, it breaks my heart. Like you, you didn't know, you didn't have the information and now you're stuck with something for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's really hard to understand when you're just 15, 16, 17, um, and you're doing things to fit in or cause your friends are doing it and peer pressure. It's so hard. And so how can we expect them to be successful? when we're like, okay, here's your body, you can get pregnant and all this other stuff. We're not going to tell you how to protect it or, you know, cause we're too embarrassed and we're adults. Like that's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and I do, do you think that parents like, or, or schools or whatever don't like get this more comprehensive training because they're worried it's going to bring on thoughts of sex. Like it's going to make their kids want yes. to have sex? Yes. I think that's a huge part of it because a lot of parents, and I would see this in the office when I would be talking to um, girls or women and their moms, you know, would be talking about birth control. And let's say we're just talking about it to treat acne or just heavy periods. Mm. And they would say, well, I don't want her to start having sex because now she thinks it's okay. I hear that. I would hear that all so the time. Crazy. But yet we have done studies that show that girls who are on birth control, they do not start having sex any more frequently than girls who are not on birth control. So yeah. it's, I, I get it, right? It makes logical sense. You know, if you have a car that can drive faster now, are you going to drive faster? But, but we also have to give teenagers some credit. Like they're mm -hmm. not just mindless. And in my opinion, if somebody is getting a birth control prescription, that means that they are having a conversation with a doctor or a nurse who is educating them and telling them, Hey, this is great, but keep in mind, you know, you can still get STIs. You can still get pregnant. Nothing's perfect. Um, so yeah, a lot of it is just the fear. If we talk about it, they'll do it. I know that's why my parents didn't want me to mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's totally the natural response, but it's actually, it's completely the wrong response. But that's why we also, as much as I want to educate teens, it's about educating their parents too. And I just posted a TikTok. I'm, I'm not even joking. 10 minutes before you called <laughs> um, about, I was like, Hey parents, like they want to hear from you. Like, don't stick your head in the sand. Like this, I think, cause I was thinking about this and I was like, Oh, this is a great thing. Um, yeah. But we need to help parents too. And there's plenty of resources out there that can help them. Yeah. And like you were saying, I mean, even like at young ages, I mean, sex can come mm -hmm. up at any time. And so I think yes. it's something we should personally take as big of a stance on as we do breastfeeding. Like we yeah. make it so loud that that's what you should do as a mom or as right. a parent or as right. you're, you know, going down your path of parenthood. Like right. we should be just as loud as being educated in the like path of talking about sex and what that looks Absolutely. like. Absolutely. And, and it really starts from that, you know, I think that the if if you can take one point away from this, if, if parents of young children are listening, it's whatever nickname you have for your daughter's vagina or your son's penis, stop using them and call it what they are. And it's not a dirty thing. It's, it's truly telling them that their body is not dirty. It's not shameful. We know that when kids use the correct terms, they are less likely to keep any um, sexual assault or abuse a secret because they have the words to tell you what has been touched. Mm. We, I've seen girls who've said, he touched me down there. It was my bottom. It was this. And you have to be able to say what, what your body is in order to accurately know that that's not supposed to be touched or that that's not okay and not feel ashamed. Yeah. Um, and so I really, and, and you see that everywhere from the American Academy of Pediatrics to every book about parenting, when it comes to talking to your teens about stuff, it's really think about the language you use. Um, it's like my kids. I mean, they know 
breasts are for breastfeeding. Um, mm-hmm. To the point where my four-year-old the other day said, well, mom, you're not breastfeeding anymore. So why do you still have breasts? And I was <laughs> like, I have done my job right. And in about 10 years, when you are, uh, you know, you're in the full throes of puberty, I'm going to remind you that you said that and you're going to be so embarrassed that you said that, but like we have started off from a good place. <laughs> yeah. We actually just switched. We used to say like a nickname for Grayson's mm-hmm. penis and we just yeah. started being like, okay, penis, penis. Yes. Good for and you. Because it is hard. He doesn't say it as well as the other word, but, right, but right. he's trying, but like yeah. that is, it is interesting that we start to think so early on about these words and how if we use them a certain way, it might add on these like complexities of sex Mm -hmm. where like Grayson this morning I was getting dressed and he was like boobies. And I was Mm -hmm. like, yep, those are my boobs. And he was like, what are these? (laughs) And he's like pointing to my nipples. And I didn't take the chance to like teach him, but I thought in my mind, I was like, don't touch. Like, I was like, Ooh, gross. Don't touch. And then I was like, wait a second. That's not gross. Let me slow down. I was like, these are mine. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to touch them. I'm going to cover them up. But like, it was this thing where I had to be like, Oh my God, he's too, like, he's not touching them being like, Ooh, these are fun. He's just looking at something he hasn't seen. And he's fascinated. Just like but he in does doing a- that, in doing that too, you did something great. And I think this is the other thing that can be taught from day one. It's that you are teaching your child that there are parts of your body that are not to be touched. You know, they're your private parts and that um, it starts, you know, again, you've got your kid who's a two-year-old and grandmom says, give me a hug, give me a hug. And he says, I don't want to. And you feel bad because grandma, you know, she's going to be insulted. And mm-hmm. you say, give her a hug. She's your grandmother. And that tells kids that if their body's telling them, no, I don't want to hug her. I don't want to be touched, but I have to, because somebody told me to, and you extrapolate that down the road, that tells them that it's okay for them to not listen to their bodies. And, um, that's a huge thing is bodily autonomy and it's teaching them, you know what, you don't want to give me a kiss right now. Okay. You know, maybe later, maybe not. And the other flip side is that girl on the playground who you want to give a hug. You have to ask first. You can't just assume that you can, you can give her a hug and it's not just boys, doing that to girls, but it's both genders. And that makes a huge difference when they're teenagers or in middle school and the idea of who they can touch and consent. Consent starts so early on. That Mm. is the other thing I'm so passionate about. So you taught your son consent. Like, you know, I try to explain to my kids, anything that's covered up by my underwear, that's mine. And that's only for me to touch. And same thing with you. And, you know, and that's why we, you know, I have boys and they love their penises. Um, yeah, they do. But I say, and <laughs> Two I years say, old, you, they do. I, they, it's, oh my God, right? Like on the ultrasounds, you're like, well, you stop touching it when they're in utero. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. And I say, you can touch your penis all you want. Just two rules, you know, in your room and you wash your hands. And, and that sets up the stage for, again, when it comes to talking about masturbation, which like what parent wants to talk to their kid about right, masturbation, right. but it's about setting ground rules. Like, of course it's fine to touch your body, but do it in a private spot and wash your hands, please. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, the hugging thing though, that actually mm -hmm. brings up a really, um, like a touch point for me because I Mm -hmm. hated that stage for Grayson. Like when Grayson wouldn't hug somebody, I did take that on. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. And then I'd be like, hug him. Come on, give him a hug, give him a kiss. And I remember a doctor, it was like this random pediatrician because we were in for something Mm -hmm. and our doctor wasn't there. And she, I can't remember why it got brought up, but anyway, she was like, if this happens and it makes you uncomfortable, just tell them, you know what? 
he's, you know, he's not really feeling good or just like, Mm -hmm. if it makes you feel better to acknowledge it and blame it on you or the baby, then do that. But don't force them to do it because that's the more damaging thing is when you force them to do those things. And I, I I thank her for that, but that was a really hard thing for me to do. And I still struggle with it. Like when Grayson won't wave hi to somebody, I'm like, dude, wave hi. Like that's rude. Wave wave. hi. Just being social. (laughs) Are you going to be a psychopath? No, I am the exact same way. So as much as I can sit here, like, please, people who are listening know that I struggle (laughs) in the exact same way. And some days on my good days where I'm feeling like I'm winning at the mothering game, I can be like, you don't have to wait, but you know, but let's talk about whatever. And then other days I'm like, just do it (laughs) because we're not perfect. We are so not perfect. Mm. Um, but, and that's okay. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. You feel the same way. Like, Oh, you know, cause right. When you were a kid, you were told that you gave your aunt and uncle a kiss but I had to. And yeah. And why is that okay for other people to tell us what to do with our bodies? Um, yeah, I remember that. Oh my. <laughs> well, and I have to remember that that might be something I'm okay with today. Like I may mm-hmm. have learned my boundaries today and I might enjoy being social or giving people hugs or that mm-hmm. might be a love language of mine. Like I can't mm-hmm. make him be that way. Like he right. might not like that when he's older. Yeah. He might not yeah. want to be a hugger like I am. Right. So not only do I not want to like push him into something he's not, but I also mm-hmm. don't want to teach him that you want to make everyone else comfortable, which I am the it, biggest yes. culprit of. Yeah, no, as a pleaser. Yeah. I'm yes. the same way. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. If I could just do a therapy <laughs> session with somebody right. over this podcast, I'm sure it'd be very interesting. You should. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I should. Someday when I'm more comfortable yeah. with myself, I'll exactly. try something like that. <laughs> okay. So one of the things I got, got brought up today when I, um, Mm -hmm. was telling people I was interviewing this amazing woman, um, was the HP HPV vaccine. So when I would say it's like when I was younger, I feel like that's when it became a really big conversation because Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly the history of HPV and how that works. But, um, I remember when I was sexually active and that became a topic that I needed to take these like three part series vaccines and mm-hmm. what they could or couldn't do for me at this point. Cause I've already been sexually active anyways. So yeah. now I feel like, is that something that's talked about more regularly or did I just miss that because yes. I chose to have sex before telling my mom or. Yeah, no, it's um, so the HPV vaccine, I can't remember exactly when it came out or when it was approved, but we're talking recently in the overall history. So okay. I'm 38 and yeah, that was not a thing. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely a newer thing. Um, but I would say is now very well established and is part of the regular, um, CDC, uh, like immunization schedule. So it's okay. part of that schedule now. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's super important because, you know, and I say a lot of weird things at work. Um, but one I say <laughs> super common is that, HPV, which is human papillomavirus, it's the common cold of the vagina. And when I say that, I, mean, I I say it for a bunch of reasons. One is that there's no shame. So if you have HPV or have had it, there's absolutely no shame because 80%, you know, of people who are having sex have had it too. And also that um, it's it's out there. And so if we can do something to protect ourselves, hey, how about a vaccine? Like, that's a great thing. Um, the yeah. reason we talk about HPV so much, there's, you know, there's hundreds maybe thousands, I don't know, of strains. There's a ton of different types. The kinds that we're really worried about are the ones that cause cancer. So it can cause cancer of the cervix, cancer of the anus, cancer of the throat. Um, 
and um, it, the, another other strains can cause genital warts. And it's a virus. So once you have it, you have it. Um, so when you're, you're thinking, oh my gosh, 80% of people have it? Like, that's crazy. Well, for the majority of people, they'll be able to clear it and it basically goes into like a dormant state. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. So when you mm. get your pap smear in the office, your pap smear is looking for cervical cancer or precancerous changes. And that's the nice thing about cervical cancer is that you can see these changes well before you get into cancer and you can do things about it. And so when we see changes and we're able to test for HPV, which we can do at the same time, we can know if you're in that high risk group that's been exposed. Um, so again, if we can have a vaccine to prevent it, like why would we not do it? And so right now, um, the CDC recommends that um, from ages nine to 14, boys and girls, it used to just be girls. Isn't that just so typical, right? Like it mm. takes two to tango. So yeah. why were we just vaccinating girls? Like that's ridiculous. Um, but thankfully they woke up a little bit. So now it's boys <laughs> and girls um, age nine to 14. So they can get two doses. And what's nice about that is because the younger you are, the more your immune system reacts. So you only need two doses. Once you're older than that, so 15 to 26, then it would be three doses. Um, and that's just because your, your immune system is not as robust. So it needs a little bit more. Um, and so now, so that was a change too. It used to just be teenagers. Then we upped it to 26. And now we are saying um, that you could get it up to age 45. So really, oh, wow. you know, you, yeah, you can get it. And, and insurance companies are covering it or we're starting to cover it. Um, and in the time frame that we've seen the HPV vaccine take effect, we have seen cervical cancer rates and abnormal pap smear rates um, decline. So it's working. Oh, that's um, good. It's to definitely know. working. Yeah, and that's only in a short period of time. It's only um, it's only going to get even more pronounced. And I did leave out it also causes penile cancer and cancer of the vagina and vulva. Um, so oh, so it does cancers, yeah. It does affect mm -hmm. men. Yeah, so they can Not get penile women. cancer. They can get cancer of the anus if it's men having sex with men. Um, and then the oral cancer, so oropharyngeal, that's cancer of the mouth, the throat. That's a terrible type of cancer. The treatments, as you can imagine, radiation, and it's it's terrible. Um, so if we can prevent that, um, then, yeah. I mean, if you can have a vaccine to prevent something that's so terrible. And cervical cancer is also one of those very... Um, you know, and I'm not saying that there's better cancer, but there kind of are. Breast cancer is a lot more treatable than cervical yeah. cancer. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So if we can prevent it with a vaccine, like, why not do it? So. Gosh, that's so crazy. I I was always taught that it was like men carried it, women got mm -hmm. it. This is what yeah. I was told. So men carried yeah. it, women got it during sexual intercourse. Mm -hmm. um, and that it caused cervical cancer. I didn't know that there was these other layers to it and that yeah. it also affected men. And it's not your fault because certainly that was the initial message, right? It was like focusing on the cervical cancer. Um, and I think that we were doing that because that's what we were seeing more of. But every year in the United States, there's almost 14,000 cases of oropharyngeal cancer, the majority of which are caused by HPV. Um, it's like we forgot to think, like, how do these women get it? And, you yeah. know, and not everybody's having sex with a woman, men having sex with men. I mean, they're having, you know, they're having anal cancer or getting that um, penile cancer. It's not it's certainly not as common. But um, again, if it takes two to tango, why would you only vaccinate half the population? But that was, I think, just our... Um, just sort of the optics of it when it first came out. I don't think we did a good job of focusing on, on that as much. Wow. Yeah. So today I know vaccines is like a very hot topic. Yes. Um, is this something in your experience or if you know or not, but like, is this something parents 
hear that and they're like, yes, I want to do it. Or is it kind of the same Mm -hmm. thing? Like my kid's not going to have sex, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So, um, there's been the HPV vaccine, man, people have a lot of reactions to it. So there's definitely that crowd of people who are like, nope, I get it. I know my kids are going to have sex at some point and yes, do it. And then there is, I think when it was, when it first came out, it just felt really strange. Why am I vaccinating my 10 year old against something that, um, has to do with sex. They're so young. Why would we do that? Mm. Yet we have been giving the hepatitis B vaccine. We give it to them as babies and that's sexually transmitted. We've been doing that for years and years and years. I think just parents didn't realize it. Yeah. Um, so there's lots of stuff, you know, that's not the only thing that we've ever vaccinated against that sexually is sexually transmitted. Um, and then I think, um, you know, some people see there's a lot of stuff out there about vaccines and I get it. I, again, I'm super well-trained. My husband is a pediatrician. He has this conversation dozens of times mm. every day. And when it was time for my kids to get their vaccines, of course I got them. But that irrational part of your brain, you know, where you're the mom and you think, okay, am I doing something that's going to harm my kid? And, you know, just like at night when they sleep through the night, are they breathing? Um, you know, I, I felt that pang of anxiety and I still yeah. thankfully, you know, was able to have that rationale and go through with it, but I can get why parents are anxious. And, and there's a lot of predatory stuff out there and bad information out there. Mm. Um, and it's really hard. We were talking about this earlier about knowing where you're getting your information from. I can tell you, it is really hard to know how to read a study and understand power and bias and recall bias and statistics Mm. and be able to determine if something is a good piece of information. And then you have people with an agenda or you can make any website look nice. And you think this is you know, reasonable. So I understand that people are are confused. And that's why I say, you know, you really need to talk to your doctor. And I promise you, we're not making, we're not getting rich off vaccines. Uh, My husband drives a 2001 Honda Civic. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the thought? Like that (laughs) vaccines are like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's a big thought that we are getting paid a lot of money from the pharmaceutical companies. And that hurts me personally, because I don't think anybody goes, I mean, of course, there's always a few wackadoos, but nobody goes into medicine to make money off of people's plights. And to be honest, I make more money off of a patient when they're in the hospital and they're sick from something than when I've prevented something. Mm. Um, and and I, that, so that always drives me a little crazy. But yeah, I mean, we are not getting paid um, I'm not getting bought cars if I give out more HPV vaccines. Um, it's so that's that's just not the way it is. Um, yeah. So yeah. I yeah. I guess I went into it like, okay, you said you had to do this. Great. Like that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. We have to do mm-hmm. that. Like I didn't. Right. There's just yeah, not no. a lot of things I've. But I also yeah. understand that there are situations and things that happen that can give you a different path or a different mindset right. on that. But yeah, for me, I was just like, okay, how many shots today? Like, oh, I'm so scared. I don't want him to cry. Like that was my right. only thought, literally exactly. nothing yeah. else other than yeah. that. Yeah. But- and I think the other thing about the HPV vaccine is people say, well, we keep adding these vaccines. How well studied is it? Um, we know that the Gardasil and the Cervix vaccines, which are two different kinds, um, they were studied in like 75,000 people. It's not like we, vaccines are some of the most studied um, medical intervention and they continue to get monitored afterwards. It's not like we just put it out there and then we don't talk about anything, you know, that has happened after that. And we know that um, over a hundred million doses have been given out in the United States alone of the HPV vaccine. And we've continued to monitor it. And the biggest side effect that we see other than redness and soreness at the site and maybe a little fever um, in teens tends to be fainting afterwards. And so- Mm. 
Um, and I don't know exactly what the mechanism, if it's vasovagal, their blood pressure drops or whatnot, but that's, you know, you just have them kind of lay down for a little bit afterwards. But we continue to monitor this. And when you talk about the rates of cervical cancer that have dropped and warts, and we haven't even really talked about that, um, genital warts in teens has dropped by almost 90% since wow. we've started this vaccine. That's amazing. And warts suck. Let me tell you what, to come into the office and have to get warts frozen off of your vulva using, um, you know, using a chemical or using um, this kind of ice that we use. I mean, it's, it's no, nobody wants to do that, you know, and repeatedly over and over awful. again. Um, and it's, you know, it's this feeling of shame and it's just not good. So if, if we could do something to prevent that, I mean, it just, to me, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. Well, to me too. I mean, I get, I get the, I get the like, okay, they're 10. Why are we doing mm -hmm. this? Like, I see that initial thing. I love your comeback mm -hmm. of like, well, they're also getting other types of vaccines right. when they're like brand new. Cause Grayson right. also has had that same vaccine you mentioned. So mm -hmm. that makes sense. But the other thing of it is like, that you, if you're not going to want to like talk about it with your kids, if you're not going to be like pro sex ed or pro mm -hmm. birth control, because you, you want to try to like not let them enter that world as much as you can. Mm -hmm. In my mind, it's just like, wouldn't you also just want to try to prevent it? Cause if they do it right. in like this very, you know, childish way that they're going to do it, which is no protection. No, exactly. Like, wouldn't you want to like try to help as much as you can, if you can't be there, like basically handing them a condom the day that they decide to do it? Like, yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's another one of those things that just by giving this vaccine, it's not, these teenagers are not busting out of the exam room and saying, I'm protected. I'm going to go have sex. Like, it's just, right. they are, they are not making that connection They're You know, it's about public health and it's just about like I said, 15% of 15 year olds are having sex. So we are doing it at that age for a couple of reasons. One is that kids are having sex at young ages. You don't want to miss that. And two, their immune system is so robust and there may be future data to show that we only even need one um, dose of it because their immune system responds so well when they're so young. So if you can avoid some extra pokes, avoid some warts, avoid some cancer. Like, why would you not do it? But, and it's, it's about having a conversation, you know, yeah. it's about making sure that you can address that and talk with your doctor. I know my husband, he, He's so good at having this conversation because I can get and understand that there are some doctors out there who are like, we're doing it or that's it. Like, that's it. Why are you asking me questions? Or they got yelled at, a patient got yelled at by a doctor because they felt that they were questioned. It should be a give and a take and you should um, feel that you can talk to your doctor. And if you can't, then you should really find a new one because yeah, you should not ever really feel true. that way. I, yeah. I'm feel, I feel very fortunate. I've never had that experience. We did have a pediatrician when Grayson was brand new that I ended up mm -hmm. firing. <laughs> um, but more because yeah. I felt like she was insensitive to what I was saying just right. as like a new tired mom who had no clue what yeah. she was doing. And then we yeah. got this wonderful doctor. She's amazing. And mm -hmm. that's what I love about her is she will just talk about anything. I never feel rushed. I never feel right. And she'll just, yeah. she never makes you feel dumb. She'll just look it up right there on Google. Like, we'll just like talk about it together. If I ask her about it, like a protein or something, she'll just like look it up with me and show me how yeah. she's like ruling it out or. Yeah, so I agree. I and that's I'm how very it should thankful be. for that. Yeah. It really, and I can tell you, I've been on both sides of the coin too, where I've had doctors where I've, you know, essentially fired a pediatrician. And then another one that I, I travel a little extra further because she's awesome. And you should feel, you know, and, and when I'm in the room as the doctor, like you should feel like you're just, we're just having a conversation. We're just having a chit chat. 
You should never feel shamed or made fun of. And if you leave that visit not feeling heard, you have wasted your time yes. and you need to find somebody else. And I guarantee you, it's okay. Like we as doctors, too, not everybody's style jives. My husband is super laid back. Like he doesn't get too riled up, but there are some parents who want like that, you know, like that bull in the China shop, like we're going to do this. And, da, da, da. and then some patients leave him because of that. And he says, that's yeah. okay. Like, I know I'm not right for them. And, and you figure it out and that's okay. Um, but as a parent, like you said, like you have no idea what we're doing, right? We are faking it till we make it. And <laughs> yes. Six weeks, you're like, I don't know what's going yeah, on. Like, exactly. please help me. <laughs> For sure. No, I'm still yep. faking it till I make it. And he's oh, yeah. too. Yep. <laughs> just, I just am better at faking it now. That's all yeah. it is. Um, yeah, that is so funny. No, that's so true though. I, you know, I think that's important to say, like, even if you're a doctor and you aren't jiving, but it's not something crazy, you know, mm-hmm. like, you don't like each other. You don't get along. Like yeah. picking the right doctor is really important. Like right. our pediatrician, we used to take a ferry to go see her because we just mm-hmm. couldn't let her up. And that was when yeah. Bryson was younger and had a visit every month. And we were still right. like, exactly. yep. cool, yep. whatever. We're yeah. coming every month yeah. and we'll continue to do it until she yeah. says, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> and I think as your kids get older, it's really important to check in with them. Um, so right now I take my two boys to a pediatrician and we love her. Um, but she's a she. And so as my oldest gets a little bit older, I'm going to just ask him and say, Hey, do you feel comfortable talking about this stuff? Or would you feel more comfortable with a male doctor? And he may care, he may not, but I want to make sure that he knows. Um, and I think this is something we need to talk about. He knows that he's going to get to talk to his doctor one-on-one. I'm not going to be in the room and I want him to feel comfortable. Like he can talk about this stuff. Um, and so as you're, as Grayson gets older, you know, you can say, Hey, do you feel okay? Cause some might be like, oh my gosh, I, no, I love her. Or no, I need to talk. I, I don't like the way he asks me questions like this. Or, yeah. You know, um, but truly I, you know, I was talking to my husband about this last night, just kind of in preparation for this. And I said, you know, what age do you start just talking? You know, you have the parents in the room with the kids, but then when do you say, I, you know, there's a routine, we have the parents step out and I just talk to you one-on-one because it's, you have to give them that autonomy and that chance to speak up. And he said, you know, somewhere between 13 to 15 some, you know, you know, some 13s are really young and some are not so young. And so it kind of Mm. depends, but I think it's very important as parents that you prep your kids to say, I'm going to say, even if the doctor doesn't bring it up, like I'm going to step out now because I want you to have that time with your doctor and know that what you guys talk about is totally confidential unless you say you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else. Um, because I think it's super important for kids to feel like they have another person they can talk to and it's not going to be, you know, a call later. Oh, she said this and we started our birth control and I just had to tell you, or, um, kids need to know that they have that opportunity, um, to talk with their physicians and confidence. Yeah, actually, I'm really glad you brought that up. Cause that was something on my notes and I did not mm-hmm. touch on it. Okay. So, so there is this point in time when teenagers are getting exams and, mm-hmm. Again, I I get what you're saying. Like, it depends on the kid and maybe the parent mm-hmm. decides to step out. Do the doctors ever ask the parents to step out? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yes, they do. Yeah, yeah. So so my husband will do that. I would do that. Um, anytime a teenager, I would, you know, we'd chit-chat and do our whole thing. And I would say, do you want your mom here for the exam or do you not? And some do, and that's great. And some don't, and I get that. And then I would say, you know, if the mom was still in the room or whoever, I'd say, this is the point, you know, I always have somebody step out and I normalize it. I'm not saying like, you know, I need you to step out because I think something's going on. Yeah. I normalize it and say, this is my routine. And what's even more helpful is I would have my medical assistant say that from the beginning. So the parent knew that was coming even before I walked in the room. Okay. And then I would say, you know, you go out into the waiting room um, and I can send your daughter out. Or if you want to come back in afterward, you know, you guys let me know, but I would set that stage because making that routine, they know that they're going to get, and the, the patient knows, 
okay, I know I'm going to have a chance just to talk to her because maybe she's telling her mom that she's there because she wants to talk about, I don't know, she had a painful lump in her breast, but really she had sex and she's petrified that she didn't use a condom and that's what she wants to talk about. And it's not about being sneaky. And I think that's super important. Whenever I do talk to my teenagers, I say, number one, honesty is the best policy. And I really recommend you give your parents the benefit of the doubt and talk to them. And I'm happy to help have that conversation with them. But I also get that not everybody is... (laughs) on that page. And so I'm also willing to say, okay, if we need to start birth control, if we need to do this, let's work together. Um, but I always have your best interest at heart and you are my patient. Your mother is not my patient. You are. Yeah. Um, See, I think that's really important that you trust your doctor because as a parent, Mm -hmm. you got to be able to be like, okay, when they're alone in the room and Mm -hmm. even asking that question, like you were talking about, are you comfortable with this doctor? Mm -hmm. Do you want a different doctor? Um, Mm -hmm. It's so important because then when they do have that opportunity, they can be honest. They have built this relationship. So, so now let's say you have, now I'm just fascinated. So my mom was always (laughs) in the room. That's, Mm -hmm. I'm very thankful I've had this relationship with her. Like, even though sometimes I'm like, you're sharing a little too much, ma. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Okay, cool. Because she's more my friend than anything else, but it's benefited me because I I will say once I had sex with somebody and that relationship ended, it was easier to have sex than before because you kind mm-hmm. of had like ripped this bandaid off. So I get parents mm-hmm. concerned in that. But mm-hmm. every time I did one, I was on birth control. I was educated about, you know, STDs and what could happen, even if you had a condom. And so I would tell mm-hmm. my mom and we would schedule an appointment and I would get tested because I was rather yeah. did not want to have anything happen <laughs> down right, there. Right. Then be embarrassed to my mom. But so I'm very thankful for that. And I know it's not the same for everybody. Right. So my question is, let's say you're having this like one-on-one conversation and this teenage girl says, I'm having sex. I don't want to tell my parents. I do want to get tested and I want Mm -hmm. birth control. Yeah. The parents have to know that this happens, right? Like, so not necessarily. Okay. Yeah. So I would tell them, so here's our option. So we can do testing and prescriptions here. If you're on your parents' insurance, it may show up. And so the options are to pay cash or we can call the insurance company or I could code it. You know, I could say I'm giving you birth control because you have painful periods, not because you're having sex. Um, and I can say, um, you know, but but having a bill show up for gonorrhea, chlamydia, that sort of thing is going to be hard to hide unless you clarify ahead of time with the insurance company that it's just a number and it doesn't say what it is. And if, it, if they're like, no, I'm not comfortable, that's too much. And, and I don't have the money for that. I say, okay, our plan B here is what other resources do we have locally? And this is going to vary state by state mm-hmm. um, and even just where you are. So, um, so I, I know where I am in Portland, I've got Planned Parenthoods, I've got county clinics, I've got yeah. oodles of resources and I'd be able to get them there. And I know that it's either free or no cost um, or sliding scale. Um, and then when it comes to birth control prescriptions, same sort of thing, they can give them out um, for free or sliding scale. And then there's also what's wonderful in this day and age of just sort of telehealth and telemedicine. We have online companies where you can go on and you can get tests and prescriptions sent um, to you. And it's not, it doesn't say like you have birth control in this box on the outside <laughs> um, and you can pay independently and you don't, it doesn't have to go through insurance. So there's lots of ways to get around it. And when I'm saying this, I'm saying, you know, look, it, it's, it's kind of mental gymnastics to do all of this. So mm-hmm. if and when you get to a point where you do feel comfortable talking to your parents about this, um, you know, I would encourage you to do that because it would make things easier. But in the meantime, here's the things that we can do and, and it doesn't have to be 
you know, I'm not going to come out to the waiting room and hand you your birth control prescription. And, right. and, <laughs> and like sometimes tattoo they're on you. I'm exactly. not a virgin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I remember when I went to my, it was my OBGYN and I needed birth control and my mother was there and we, you know, we both saw the same doctor. So we were in separate rooms. We each had our appointment and I said, listen, I want to start birth control. And he just gave me like a handful of samples and we shoved them in my bag. And so I was covered until I got to where I could, you know, get them for free at the clinic. Um, um and so sometimes there's even things like samples. And the other beautiful thing is there's other types of birth control where you don't have to worry about your parents seeing them. So intrauterine devices, IUDs, implanons, there are things that you, you know, you have it inserted once and you're good for five to 10 years um, or three to 10 years, excuse me. And so if you can get that done at Planned Parenthood, sliding scale or free, then you're good. You don't have to worry about that prescription. Um, mm. So there's lots of different, lots of different ways. And it's, you know, I hate not feeling that we can just all have this wonderful open relationship because not every parent does, but it changes. And I also have been surprised by teens who they come back in six months and they're like, you know, on the car ride home, I just told my mom and it was great. I'm like, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> you See, know, it does almost that, you know. feel like you yeah. just got to get it out to one person yeah. and know that it's okay. Right. And then maybe right. you'll feel more comfortable telling. It yeah. is just so sad because I feel like if I asked any of those parents mm-hmm. who had these crazy fears, which are valid and mm-hmm. I understand and your baby's not a baby and I get it. Right. Like, I get it. And it makes my heart ache to think Grayson's going to have to yeah. deal with this and not feel like yeah. he can come to me and that's okay. And like, anyways, mm-hmm. I just would feel like as a mom, I, my heart would ache more for the child being like, okay, now how do I get to Planned Parenthood and how do I get cash and how do I get tested? It's like, I would rather just be like, you know what? Exactly. This is the road we've hit and I want to make sure you're protected in any way that I can. And And I think parents, yeah, parents are just left in the dark. And so there are some really good resources that can help them get to that point and have those conversations. So um, the American Academy of Pediatrics definitely has resources on their website, as does the Centers for Disease Control. Um, the CDC, they have like a whole teen health page and they have these, you know, like, how do you, how do you talk to your parents or talk to your kids about it? What to do and statistics to kind of help you feel a little more comfortable. Um, schools may have resources as well. Um, another website that I really like is healthychildren.org. Um, they just have a lot of nice flyers and handouts and easy to read information, both for parents and kids. And then there's a bunch of books out there. I know one specifically, um, that I've read recently, um, is Girlology, and they've got, um, it's a book, you know, written for girls, teenage girls, and then they've also got one written for boys. But the point of it is that you read it with your teenager. And a lot of it is even before we're talking about getting your birth control prescription, it's understanding puberty. It's stuff that maybe we forget now, but how embarrassing was it when you first had to shave your legs or you had body mm-hmm. odor? You didn't know what a tampon looked like. Like, there is so much before we're talking about sex that if we can talk about these things with kids, like, the sex part might not even be that, <laughs> you know, right. as big of a leap because you've already yes. set the stage like, hey, we can talk about buying pads and we can talk about pimples and we can talk about why your voice is deeper and why, you know, your sister's breasts started developing at this age and you're older, but yet you're, she's taller than you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, that is so, so think, funny. We think sex yeah. and they might be thinking something totally different, which is like yeah. period or all these yeah. awful feelings mm-hmm. of like spontaneous erections in class, like all yes. these things that yes. they're That's more huge. concerned yeah. about versus yeah. sex. Mm-hmm. Like they're not even mm-hmm. ready for that maybe. And we're already thinking that they right. might be thinking about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for parents, giving them sort of a roadmap is, I think it's helpful because if we weren't taught the right way to do it, like how the heck are we going to do it for our kids? For sure. (laughs) For sure. You know what? I actually talked about puberty specifically with this wonderful woman named Julie, Julie Max, excuse me. Wow. I can't talk. Julie Metzger. Um, Mm -hmm. She's actually from Seattle. So I went to her house recently and interviewed her. Um, Mm -hmm. By the time this episode airs, I'm sure her episode will air, but uh, she talks about puberty and she teaches a class at Seattle Children's and all through, Mm -hmm. um, I think she has it in Bend and then in the Bay Area, if I remember, but where they do this thing where a child and a parent sit down and in the girls' room, it's all girls and they talk about Mm -hmm. girl puberty and um, like all the things, parts, and she makes it funny and also relatable and all this stuff. And then the next day they come back and they talk about same room, just Mm -hmm. girls. Um, but then they talk about boys puberty and sex Mm -hmm. and consent and what sex looks like. And, Oh, that's so cool. And my niece who's 11, who has heard Mm -hmm. the word sex and had watched shows and, you know, things that had like innuendos and my sister's trying to plug her ears and all these things you know, are happening. She, that was, she walked away and was like, Oh, I never knew sex was like that. Like, yeah. I didn't know that that was sex. Like yeah. I just figured sex. I didn't know like the penis went into the vagina. Right. Right. And I think that is, first of all, I would, that class sounds amazing. And I would love to sign up to like be the parent to take it. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. And so I think sometimes one of the best things that my husband has, has, he tells his patients that he taught me was when your kids say, Hey mom, you know, is Santa real? Hey mom, what is sex? Stop and say, what do you think? Because Mm. what you think they might be asking is completely different. And it also tells you what they're ready to hear. Because if they say, well, I don't know, I, I saw the word sex on an application and it said male and female. Okay. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, you know, penises and vaginas, or, or maybe that is what they need to talk about, but stopping and asking them, what do you think helps guide you and tells you what they're ready for. But like you said, with your niece, you know, she's seeing it, right? All these kids are seeing these innuendos. And even in the Pixar movies where they throw in the funny stuff for the adults, like eventually mm-hmm. they're going to understand that. And I use the example of guns with my oldest child, because of course we were going to be perfect and never have guns and never talk about guns <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. You sound and you like me. From, yeah. Right. Cause we're, cause you're such a perfect parent until you're a parent. And then he came home from preschool and he's got, he's doing like the gun thing with his hand and he's talking about shooting and killing. And I, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh. We're, and I went in to talk to the head of the school because I was like, I just don't understand. And she says, Jen, it's everywhere. It's on the billboards. It's, you know, it doesn't matter if they're, if you're not even talking about it at home, they're going to hear about it. So it's your job to talk about, okay, if you want to play shooting, you don't point at somebody you don't know and you can play in your house. And same thing with sex. They're going to hear stuff yeah. about it. They're, they're seeing the billboards. They're driving past the Hooters. They you know, they're not stupid and you wish that you can put your blinders on, but remember when you were a kid, like Mm -hmm. you saw it too. So, um, so that's why it is important to talk about it so young. Well, and that that curiosity killed the cat Mm -hmm. is like a really good way to look at that because when I was a teenager and I learned about like alcohol or smoking Mm -hmm. or all these things and sure there was all these fears, but no one ever really like talked to me about like, what was nicotine? Like why did nicotine make people's like heart race or make them feel Mm -hmm. calm or you know what happened no one did that it was just like cigarettes are bad alcohol is bad and so right and pot is is bad bad. everything's bad cocaine's bad all this stuff is bad and so 
I, fortunately, I, and sometimes I, I think about this because I listened to a podcast with Dak Shepard and he talks about like his addiction that he had mm-hmm. with drugs. And I th- truthfully, I'm like, how did I get so lucky to not be that curious? Like, where was my fear level? Because I mean, I for sure, like, just like anybody, it's like when you don't talk about it, when you're not like, this is what cocaine is. This is what pot is. This is what it's like. What happens is it's becomes this like curiosity of like, okay, sure. I'll take a hit off that joint or right. Yeah. I'll drink that beer or sure. I'll take a shot of tequila because it's fun to be curious. And so if you don't help like kind of bridge some of that curiosity without giving too much fear and shame, you know, what are they going to do other than try? (laughs) They're just going to check it out and see what happens. Exactly. Yep. Oh, absolutely. I oh know. man. I will say the other day, my son started going pew, pew, pew. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, what is he doing? And my husband yep. and I are both, we're still trying to figure it out. Like, is he, oh, yeah. is he saying pew, pew because he's making <laughs> gunshots or is that just like a fun sound he's making? And yeah. I, I mean, I'm like, okay, there's nothing he watches with guns, but like, right. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, he. You know, they get, just wait till he starts doing with his penis. And then you've reached the zenith of being a boy mom where you're oh like, my seriously. Gosh. And I will tell you. So, yeah, with my first, we were that way. And then with my second, they're four and a half years apart. Uh, he just, you're like, whatever. Like, you know, there's no stopping <laughs> it. And, and so now my my younger kid is probably that kid in preschool who's teaching the poor first time mom, like that kid. And, you know, so it's just a wonderful <laughs> circle. Of, it's a circle of life. And you just, you know. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Oh, parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, I cannot thank you enough for giving me and hopefully the people listening exactly what I was hoping for, which is just kind of shedding a light on like, what our responsibility is as parents and um, just kind of that insight into like what might be happening happening in our teenager's mind and when and all that good stuff. So I really appreciate it. I, you've given a lot of advice and I love it, but do you have like thinking about teen sex and Mm -hmm. parent sex education and all this stuff? Like, do you have one piece of advice for parents out there to be like, if I could leave you with anything, Mm -hmm. this is what I want you to know. That's a great question. Um, but first of all, no, this has been super fun. I could talk about this all day and I can't (laughs) wait till my kids are old enough to then hear it. And they're going to say, mom, just shut up. Um, (laughs) I think my one piece of advice is to not underestimate your teenager. Um, they really want to take care of themselves. They want to make good choices. They want to, they want to feel like they can talk to you. Um, even, and when you think they're not listening, they so are. So even if they, you have the talk with them and they roll their eyes and they sit there and squirm, they are listening and it will make a difference. They will not tell you for a good 20 to 30 years, but it will. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you are making a difference. Um, even if you think you're not, mm, that's really good. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. really good. Well, Thanks. and you mentioned the book earlier and I think, sorry, this just brought to my mind of like even if you're maybe not comfortable having that conversation, because I do get, mm-hmm. it gives people some squirms and I'm yeah all about respecting people's boundaries with that, but yeah, at least giving them some of those resources, like you mentioned, like letting them yes. know it's okay to kind of like start to explore that time, whether you yeah. want to be that person that they talk to or not, but like yeah. letting them do the exams by themselves, not freaking out yep. if they order birth control, but like also giving them the books to read or the podcast to listen to or the TikToks or whatever exactly. it is yeah. when they get exactly. old enough to kind of like yep. consume. So you are still kind of controlling the narrative, but it's not you actually right. having to have that conversation. 
Exactly. Because they want the information. And if you don't give it to them, they're going to find it somewhere else. And you know how great the internet is. So if yeah. you can say, hey, here's this book, take a look at it when you're ready. We'll talk about it or, you know, and figure out what works for you and your child. But if you are involved, you are, like you said, you're controlling the narrative. And that's the best case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So good. Well, Jen, thank you so much for your time. And if you parents are not already following her on Instagram, you should. It's Dr. Jennifer Lincoln uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram. And it's DR, right? It's not doctor yes, spelled out. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So DR, yeah, Jennifer Lincoln yep. is her handle. And she will give you all the things you probably don't want to talk about. But good <laughs> insight on how to maybe start talking about them with your teens. There you go. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. So great. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you're hooked, you can subscribe to this podcast, follow along on social media at The Mama Stories, or visit the website, mamastories.com. And mamas, I love you.